Good morning, Calvary Church. It is great to see you guys this morning. We are so glad you're here to worship with us today. My name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here at Calvary Church. And if you don't know, this is my last day here as a pastor and a member of our church, which is a, a, hard, a hard day. Um, and so as we, as we get ready to dive in today, I, I wanted to start out by saying thank you once more. Uh, over the past two weeks, as we've kind of prepared for this transition, uh, we've just been blown away by the amount of encouragement and kind words and prayer uh, that you guys have showed our family, and, and it means so much to us. So thank you all so much. One of the great promises that we have in Christ is being part of, of his body, being part of the church. And uh, life in the local church, like Calvary Church, is always interesting, right? There's people who are from all over the place, people from different backgrounds, different walks of life, who were raised and grew up in, in so many different places. And so when you walk in and join a church, you encounter people who are so different, who have such different experience than you have. Uh, sometimes it feels like if you ask a question, there's 150 different opinions in a room full of 50 people. Um, but more than any of that, the church is a family. It's a family that's united by the people who follow Jesus. And we are so grateful that over these last couple of years, you guys have allowed us to be part of your family. And it's meant so much to us. So thank you so much. Um, it has been a true joy, and we are truly thankful for all of you guys. Today, we are talking about thankfulness. Easy thing to talk about. It's been on my heart recently. Over the past couple weeks, Kendrick has been uh, sharing with us uh, prayers of thanksgiving from the Psalms and, and now, uh, or prayers of evangelism from the Psalms, and now David's prayer of thanksgiving in First Chronicles chapter 29. You can go ahead and turn there today. First Chronicles chapter 29. We're going to finish this prayer that we've spent the past two weeks looking at and see how we as followers of Jesus, as the body of Christ, are thankful to God for what he has done for us. In this prayer, David has been collecting and, and, and preparing and organizing all of the preparations for his son to build the temple. Um, and the people of Israel have joined in his efforts, and they have come to freely give from their possessions and their wealth and their finances to support this project. And so David praise in thanksgiving to, for, for God in giving the people this heart to be generous. And so he offers this prayer of thanksgiving. We've seen three parts. First, Kendrick taught that we give thanks to God because of who he is before anything else, his attributes first. Secondly, we saw that we give thanks because of God's generosity. We only give what God has already given to us. And finally, today, we're going to give thanks for God's grace. Give thanks for his grace. Grace, essentially, it's one of those you know, churchy words that we throw around. Grace means gift. It's God's unmerited free gift that he gives to us, something that we cannot deserve because of our sin. He shows us kindness and mercy when we deserve anger and punishment. This is God's grace. He gives us forgiveness and restoration despite our rebellion. So let's Turn back to this prayer and see how David thanks God for his grace. We're going to read this whole prayer, and I'm going to pause when we get to the verses where we're going to focus on today. So look with me, 1 Chronicles chapter 29, beginning in verse 10. 
Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over them. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to, to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners, as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are as a shadow, and there is no abiding. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for, for building you a house, for your holy name comes from your hand, and is all your own. Now here, in these last three verses, is where we're going to focus today. And as we read this, I want you to notice how much David zeroes in on the heart. He's going to mention the heart five times in these three verses. This is how he concludes. He says, I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people, who are present here, offering freely and joyously to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts towards you. Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, and your statutes, performing all, and that he may build the, pa- the palace for which I have made provision. Church, let's pray together as we prepare to study God's word. Father, we are thankful for your greatness and your generosity and your grace to us. Father, as we look at this prayer today, we ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your eyes. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So in this third part, as David turns to examine the heart, examine uh, the grace of God, David recognizes something true in in his people and in all of us. David recognizes that it is only an upright heart that can please God. Only an upright heart can please God. Last week, Kendrick was talking about this, the middle section in verses 15 and 16, and there David is, is focusing on the, the, the provision, the offering that the people have provided. He's thanking um, this abundance that they have offered back to God, that God has given to them, and that they have in turn offered back to God. And and it was truly a a massive effort, a massive gift. They had provided so much, and it had come from all the people, from from the top to the bottom of the land. Supplies, precious metals, funding, nothing, um, nothing they gave was truly theirs. It all belonged to God. And in giving back to it, they had recognized God's generosity and their, and their dependence on him. And, and he notes specifically that they offered these gifts freely, right? This wasn't a tax. This wasn't compulsion or peer pressure. They saw what David was doing in preparing the temple, and they wanted to jump in and be a part of this. And it's this attitude that David locks in on in his people in these final three verses. He recognizes that the heart behind their giving is truly what matters more to God. It's the heart behind their gift that God cares about. See, because of what he's already prayed, that, that everything belongs to God, right? 
that God doesn't need their gift. God is not that concerned about meeting the supply quota for the temple lumber, you know? Like God's not worried about that staying up and I like, I hope we get enough in or we're gonna have to slow this thing down. No, God doesn't need what they're giving him. God cares more about the heart of his people in giving this gift to them. God created the universe from nothing. He cares about the heart, about what is behind it. David recognized this in Psalm 51. He prayed in this in Psalm for you, the Lord will not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You would not be pleased with a burnt offering. No, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. God is looking for a contrite, a broken, a heart that truly follows God. He doesn't care about the stuff. We said earlier, five times in these two passages, David mentions the heart. God tests our hearts. God knows our hearts. And he has pleasure in an upright heart. So what does that mean, right? What does it mean to have an upright heart? What is David asking for? In Hebrew, in in the time of Israel, the heart was the way to describe the inner person. It was the thing that, that we truly are. What makes you, you? That's your heart, It's not just your emotions. That's what we think of when we think of heart. It was also your decision-making, what we would kind of think of as your your will or your your desires even, the things that drive you and and lead you to choose what you want to do, to choose what matters to you, to choose how you will act. And so it's, it's central to what makes us us. And uprightness, an upright heart, it comes from this word for evenness, of leveling something out so that it's not tilted and crooked in any way. And, and when it's referring to a person or something that's, that's ethical, it means something that's, that's uh, equal. It, 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 is, um, it is ethical. Uh, it is right. It is, it is aligned correctly. There's no deception. There's no evil. There's no crookedness or wickedness in it. It is flat. It is pure. It is righteous. We might say, uh, you and I might say someone has their head screwed on right. To mean that, that you know, they're making wise choices. David is saying that they have their heart leveled out. It's not tilted to one side or the other. It's even. God cares that our hearts are right, that they are even, that they are properly balanced and aligned before him. That we're doing the right things, but that we also have the right attitudes and the right reasons. We do the right things with the right attitude for the right reasons. That's what an upright heart is. And David understood here that generosity that he was seeing from the people, it comes from the heart. It comes from having this upright heart. The nation was only generous in giving freely because they were acting from an upright heart, because they were acting from a heart that was properly aligned to God. The internal was right, and so the external actions happened correctly too. And really, none of this would matter if the first part wasn't there. If the heart wasn't right, it doesn't really matter what the external was going to look like because only the heart can please God. In a different psalm, David wrote uh, in Psalm 24, who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? Basically, who can enter into God's presence unhindered, unfiltered to, to stand before a holy God? Who could do such a thing? He says, he who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to what is false and who does not swear deceitfully. Not following what is false, not deceitful, but pure and clean, a heart that is upright. 
the pure in heart, the upright in heart can approach God. They can live in real relationship with God. And Jesus affirms this same thing in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. This is the uprightness of heart. The state of the heart is critically important for the future of God's people. Everything rests on this. And so because David recognizes the importance of a right heart, he turns to request from God. David requests that God would provide this upright heart for the people. He knows how important he is. He knows that everything hangs on this. And so he is turning to God and asking that he would provide it. And we're going to look at three different requests that David made to God in verses 18 and 19. And they all focus on this this core issue, what really matters, the state of their hearts. So first, uh, David prays that the upright thoughts and purposes, uh, that the upright thoughts and intentions of the people would stay there. He says, you guys have offered freely for the right reasons. Lord, help those reasons to stay, right? Don't help them, help them not to, to fade away, to go away. Keep it like it is today. This is a good day. Let's stay here. He's praying not for himself primarily, but for his entire nation as the king. He is the leader. He represents the people before God, and he is praying for the people. He prays that the upright hearts that have produced such an abundant giving would continue in the people. And so essentially, he's asking that this moment would not be just a blip on the radar, not just a flash in the pan, but this would be a consistent, lifelong mentality of a generous uh, giving that comes from an upright heart. You think of it this way, what would be better to have one incredible, unmatched wedding celebration where you just pulled out all the stops, it was the wedding of the century, but it was followed after by years and years of neglect and heartbreak and a broken marriage. Would you rather have that or would you rather have a lifetime of real, deep companionship and love and and a life together without a huge celebration to mark it, right? You would take the long term, you would take the right relationship over the huge flash-in-the-pan wedding at any moment. The long-term relationship matters more than this single moment. It doesn't matter how beautiful this temple is going to be. It doesn't matter how much gold and silver and precious metals they pour into it if it is followed by faithlessness, if it's followed by abandoning God and following whatever else their heart might find. He's praying for the long-term health of the people's relationship with God. They must be a thankful people who are praising God for who he is, praising God for his generosity that he has given them. David prays that God would enable them to learn the, the commitment, the faithfulness, and the dedication to go the distance. And so in keeping with this prayer, we as Christians have to ask ourselves, are we relying on these spiritual high points Or are we consistent day in, day out, following Jesus with a whole heart? Are we spiritually speed dating? Or are we the marrying type, right? Are we in this for the long run? Are we committed? What's our heart like? David's second request stays with the nation. He's still praying for his people as a whole. He prays that God would direct their hearts towards God. That he would direct the people's hearts towards God. Uh, This means uh, to drive the heart in, a, in the right direction. The heart is moving, it's wandering, and what it focuses on, he's saying, get it to focus, to move towards, to be fixated on God and nothing else. It's not enough for our heart to be level or straight. It has to be angled and pointed in the right direction. 
on our own, all of us, just like the Israelites, we have wandering hearts. We drift all over the place to whatever looks the best or sounds the best or smells the best, whatever. We're just like, you know, a kid in a candy shop, just wandering around looking for whatever we see. We get caught up with the latest object of our desires and our affections. And sometimes that might be a relationship with a person, right? Sometimes it might be our career ambition or the pursuit of the comforts of life. It doesn't really matter whatever it is. There will always be something that threatens to pull our hearts and our affections away from God. That will threaten to to wander our heart off the place where it needs to be. There's a famous hymn Uh, called Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And here the author, Robert Robinson, great name, they don't do that anymore, um, wrote in our hearts that we are prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love. Like David, he cries out to God, here is my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it with thy spirit from above. Our hearts are just off the reservation. We need God to pull them back, to direct them into the right place. Like Israel, we need God's Holy Spirit to take and seal our hearts and direct them towards God. Then we come to his third request in verse 19. And here he turns his attention from the people, from the nation, to the king. He begins to pray for Solomon, his son. He prays that God would grant the king a whole heart before God. He would grant the king a whole heart before God. And David here, he's not so much praying as a father to a son, although as much as he's praying as a king to his successor, as a current king praying for the future king, the one who will step into his shoes someday and be responsible for shepherding, for leading and directing the nation, who will represent the people before God. David understood that as the king goes, so goes the people, right? It's a famous kind of like, you know, phrase, the nation is going to follow its king. The nation is going to adopt the disposition and the values of the leader, and they will follow the path that the leader lays out for them. David understands this, and he sees that it is critically important for the king to lead his people to follow God. It is critically important that the king leads the people to give their heart to God over and over again, not once, but each and every day. And so he prays for the heart of the soon-to-be king. And what he prays for his son is that Solomon would have a whole heart, a whole heart. And this is another expression for what we've been talking about, an upright heart, a pure heart. When a person is rightly aligned with God, directed towards him, And loving the Lord his God with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his strength, and with all of his mind. The whole being is united. There's no pieces missing. There's no different directions. They are united as one person directed in the right direction. They are in right relationship with God and therefore are complete. The hearts are whole. Our hearts are always broken. They are restless. They are wandering until we find our rest, our wholeness, in God. This is what he prays for the king. A whole heart will enable Solomon to lead his people well. He will keep and obey, David says, all of God's statutes and his rules and his commands. He will remain faithful to God. He will set the example for the people, and he will lead the people to do the same. And notice here that a whole heart is not something that that Solomon can find on his own. It's not something that Solomon can work towards or build towards like you can build a temple. 
This is something that only God can give. It is a gift. It is a grace from God. He's not uh, speaking of a status or a spiritual state that someone can achieve or unlock. It's not a burden to bear, but a gift to be received and to be enjoyed. I think too often we think of a righteous heart, of, of a right standing before God as a quantity and not a quality. Here's what I mean. If you're trying to reach a quantity, then you can build your way up to it so many times. If you need $100, I can add $1 bill over and over and over again, and eventually I'm going to get there. And I may be closer or farther. I may be at $98 or I may be at $1. And it's measurable. I can see my progress. If I add up enough good deeds, enough right actions, then eventually I'll stack up high enough to be in the right place before God. But that is not how this works. It is not a quantity. It is a quality. It is something that either is there or is not. When you are married, you're either married or you're not. You're not 98% married. You're not 2% married. It just is or isn't. That's what he's talking about here. We are either given this whole heart from God or we do not yet have it and we ask for it. The whole upright heart which David prays for the people and for the king is a gift of God. It comes from his grace. God's gift unlocks the life that he designed for us the life with God that we were literally made for, that he created us to have, and which removes our sin from us. In all th- three of these requests, David prays for God's grace to give his people a real, whole relationship with God. And this is a beautiful prayer. This is a prayer that we can lift up as well, to pray for the right heart, the right relationship before God. And this prayer effectively concludes the book of 1 Chronicles. David served as a faithful king and he led his people to praise God and to give towards the construction of the temple. All of the preparations are made and it is this rising climax where we're waiting for the temple to come. But even at this great moment, David recognizes that it doesn't matter if their hearts don't remain upright. There's still this question Will David's prayer be answered? The people have to continue walking in thanksgiving. They have to continue worshiping and keeping God's commandments or the temple and everything they've worked towards and built is not going to matter. It's going to be useless without an upright heart. The heart of the king and the heart of the people needed to stay with God. And spoiler alert, it didn't work out. We have the entire book of 2 Chronicles. We have the entire book of 1 and 2 Kings, which outline in painful detail how far short they fell. And this temple, which was a beautiful monument to dedication to God and and giving freely, was torn down. And slowly by slowly, four nations ripped that gold out and carried it off. Until eventually, Babylon came by and burned the temple to the ground and left nothing but rubble in its place. The kings, Solomon and his sons, did not follow God with a whole heart. They didn't even make it one generation of kings before they fell off. They turned to false gods, to political alliances, to chasing economic prosperity. The people, they turned away from God. They worshiped anything literally they could find. They descended into greater and greater immorality, injustice, and sin. And so in a couple hundred years after this, the prophet Isaiah spoke 
from God saying, this people draws near with their mouths and they honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. And their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. They had an empty relationship. They had a heart far from God and nothing else mattered if the heart wasn't there. Chronicles ends with the destruction of the temple, the exile of the king, and the deportation of the people. Their hearts were far from God. So the question we have, knowing how Second Chronicles goes, is what was the answer to David's prayer? Did God answer his prayer? Thankfully, we have more than Second Chronicles. We have the rest of Scripture to know that God does reply to David's prayer. God's greatness and his generosity and his grace, they never left his people. Although for hundreds of years, they didn't really know what was happening. They didn't hear a direct word, and they were waiting and wondering what would become of God's promises? What would become of this prayer? How exactly would God answer? The problem of a sinful heart was apparent, but the solution was made a mystery. We see in hindsight that God replies through Jesus Christ. That God answers David's prayer through the coming of Jesus the Messiah, who, who grants us a renewed heart. We know that God sent prophets to give us promises, to give us glimpses and hopes of what was coming, of the arrival of Jesus. And he promises the answer to our sinful hearts. The prophet Ezekiel spoke in chapter 36, and he said, I will, speaking uh, God's words, God speaking here, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move, move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people, and I will be your God. I will save you from all your uncleanliness. God promises to be the answer to their broken and corrupt hearts. He's telling them, this is a problem beyond the scope of what you can do, and so I will come and save you from yourself. I will come and save you from your own unrighteous heart. Ezekiel's prophecy and the many like it point us to Jesus. And the New Testament shines the light on the mystery of God's grace. And it spells out for us God's reply to David's prayer. God has replied through Jesus Christ and he has granted us a whole upright heart in him. Jesus' death on the cross, it takes away the punishment that we rightfully earn, that each one of us has rightfully earned by turning away and rebelling against God. The, the punishment for our self-centered hearts. And Jesus' perfect obedience gives us the clean heart that God has promised, the clean heart that is necessary to please God, to know God, and to approach him in his holiness. He gives us a new heart, a new spirit, and he writes his law on our hearts so that just like David prayed, we would be able to keep his commandments, his testimonies, and his statutes. He gives us a pure heart so that we can see God. See, Jesus answers the prayer for the hearts of the people. Jesus makes a new people. Jesus comes to create a new people, a new humanity of, of God who are united in him. This is his church, the assembly of his people, his, his very body, those who are connected to him, those who have been given new hearts. These, 
Christians, the body of Christ, the assembly of the people, they're going to act as Jesus's ministers, as his hands and feet in the world, keeping God's law, showing God's love, and spreading his gospel to all nations. Through the church, the greatness of God, the generosity of God, and the grace of God are on full display. And we see here what David envisioned, a people whose hearts are filled with generosity and the right motive and intention. The people whose hearts are directed towards God, we are to see that in his church. And as the people of God, we give thanks for this greatness, this generosity, and this grace in our lives. We have been given everything. We've been given a new life, a new relationship with God, and a new family, a place to belong, to be loved. God gives the church in reply to David's prayer. God also answers the prayer for the heart of the king. David prayed that the king would have a whole heart before God and no Israelite king could lead his people in the way that was required. No king could lead his people to have upright hearts before God. And indeed, no leader in human history could do this. Pick your favorite. Everyone has failed in this task. And so God gives us a different kind of king. He sends us a king who is human just like us, who could stand in our place for us, who could empathize with everything that we're going through. But this king is also the great king above all kings. He is the creator of heaven and earth. He is God himself. Jesus Christ is the king who saves his people, the king with a whole heart to keep all of God's law. And those in his kingdom receive all of the, all of the blessings and the promises of his rule. God gives Jesus in reply to David's prayer. And so church family, we have much to be grateful for. David and his sons and his people had to wait to see the fulfillment of this prayer, had to wait to see what the outcome of all of this would be. We have seen the high point. We've seen the answer. We have seen Jesus and all that he has done for us. We have so much to be grateful for. God has been gracious to us. He gives us what we don't deserve, what we could never deserve. If you've never experienced God's grace, then you've never tasted his generosity, never seen his his full greatness, you can do that today. This is always open. This is an invitation to come at any time and come to Jesus. There is no limit. There is no barrier. Experience greatness and generosity and grace from God for yourself. Today, I want to close us with the words from that hymn we mentioned before that that speak of God's grace in our wandering hearts. It says, Let that grace, Lord, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Let God's grace hold our heart tightly to him so that we will never wander away again. Christ, or church, let's pray together and then we'll stand together and sing of God's amazing grace and his unfailing love. Let's pray. Father, we, we stand in awe of, of who you are. Father, before we can see anything else, we see your greatness. We see your glory. We see what is indescribable, what our words can't, can't fully speak. And we praise you. Father, we thank you for your generosity. And we are reminded of all of the things you have poured out upon us all of the ways that you have answered our needs and our prayers, all the ways you have provided for us and will have promised to sustain us. And Father, lastly, we focus in on your grace. 
the grace that we see shining forth in Jesus, the grace to give us what we have no right to, the grace to give us what we on our own would throw away, the grace to give us a new heart to bind us to you and to give us all of the blessings and the promises and the protections of your kingdom in Jesus. Father, we have so much to be thankful for. We praise you and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.